tonight in the book of Numbers. See how far we get, hopefully through it tonight. We get my, there we go. Okay, so Numbers, we'll start in um, looking at the first few chapters, get this uh, broke down if I can get this to work right here tonight. I don't know. It's hooked up, but it's not working. Hope my battery's not gone. There we go. Okay. So on our GPS, we'll start out and look at the theme of uh, numbers. And I went back and tried to correct. I had a couple of dates in the past couple of books in, in Exodus and Leviticus. I had some, some dates that I think I must have typoed or, or did wrong. But um, as you understand, with, as we're studying and this far, I'll just stop and kind of mention this. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy all run within a few years or so of each other. And one reason is because each of those four books... We have, um, at some point, the life of Moses. Exodus begins uh, when Moses is born. So it goes back the furthest as far as the dates go, and we'll, we'll have the dates on the board in a minute. Uh, but then as you go through, Numbers and Leviticus kind of, uh, they're the, the same, very same time frame. Within uh, about A lot of those events, in fact, happen at the same time, um, as well as some of them later on in Exodus. So it's, it gets a little... Um, at times it gets to where it's very close as far as the dates go. And then next week, Lord willing, if we get to Deuteronomy next week, then we'll, we'll see that that also, um, those, those dates run kind of um, within, a few, within just a very few years of each other overlapping. So anyway, the theme of uh, the book of Numbers is it is a book of serving and of wandering. They've been redeemed uh, to serve the Lord. They've been saved through the blood of the Lamb. We looked at in Exodus and talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago in Exodus, how God delivered them after the or through the Red Sea uh, after that, that that was the end of uh, you know the plagues as he, as he opened the Red Sea for them to go through after the uh, Passover and where the um, uh, the death of the firstborn there in Egypt and so uh, he led them through to bring them into the Promised Land which we know that that got shortcut we'll see that tonight actually. Uh, that got shortcut because of one thing, because of Moses' disobedience. He didn't get to go in. Um, and we'll talk about that actually more in Deuteronomy because Deuteronomy talks about Moses' death. So I won't go into that part of it a whole lot. But they were redeemed to serve the Lord, and, but yet they wandered also. They wandered due to their unbelief. And we'll see that as we look at the book of Numbers. Um, Numbers is, um, is a book that, that describes a, a great bit about the travels as they go through and wander in the wilderness and when they set up the, um, as we'll get to tonight, when they set up the um, tabernacle to move it from place to place. It begins with a little bit of a genealogy of the tribes of Israel in chapter 1. So let's move on to that. There are 36 chapters. It's longer than Leviticus. I had 27. Um, it has 36 chapters in the book of Numbers. Uh, and so uh, I'm going to do a quick breakdown of the of the three just do it in three quick sections and then we'll go through and look at um, not completely chapter by chapter but close uh, chapters 1 to 14 talks about the older generation I put ER on there when I was in my 20s I would have probably said the old generation I'm not in my 20s anymore so I say the older generation I like that word better and then uh, 21 to 36 talks about the younger generation. Now, that would be the generation that would get to go into, and their descendants go into the promised land eventually uh, with Joshua. And then in between chapters 15 to 20 is that transition time between, using transitions that should be used, transition between the older and the newer um, 
generations where uh, the older ones are dying off and the newer ones, the younger ones are starting to, you know, they're starting to grow in responsibility. And um, so we see the changeover. That's basically the overview because this is where they um, had left Egypt and they're getting ready to go uh, under Joshua to the promised land. So in chapters 1 to 8 of those first 14 chapters, we see where they prepare to go into the wilderness. Um, they're going to go uh, and be there for a time wandering around. We know that eventually they, they um, wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, but they're preparing for that. And in doing so, chapters 1 through 4, I said it started out where the, in the first chapter they give in the first, uh, first, like the first half or first third of the chapter. It's a long chapter. He gives the genealogy of the children of or the excuse me the tribes of Israel, descendants of uh, uh, Jacob, uh, and through the, his descendants, of course, um, at this point, remember um, they had all they had all died off, and so it was their descendants um, of the twelve tribes. And so the soldiers they number them, they sense uh, they do a census of the age of those that would be uh, serving as they go anytime they go into battle. And then also um, those that would, were uh, the Levites that would serve as priests. We find out later that they served from the age of 22. Their retirement was 50. So they had a 30-year service before they retired. And the generation that come behind them would, would, um, would take over. Uh, and then in chapter 5, it gives us uh, a little bit about living in the camps. So what they would uh, do, and maybe I'll put a, put a chart for, uh, for Deuteronomy, but what they would do is when they set up camp, they would divide it, or excuse me, they would, take the, they would have the tabernacle in the middle of the camp. I'll have a picture of the tabernacle in a few minutes. They'd have the tabernacle in the middle of the camp anytime they set up. Remember, God promised to lead them by day with a, um, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night as they wandered, as they walked and traveled through the wilderness. So they would set up the camp. Uh, and set up the uh, first the tabernacle that everything was was surrounded that uh, by that. So you had the north, south, east, and west of the of the uh, tabernacle. It, it faced long way. It faced rectangular. So um, the north and south would be like this. The east and west would be like this. I'll try to get a chart. We go to Deuteronomy. Talk about it some more. So three of the tribes would be at each of those four locations. You have uh, at the at the top there are three tribes. At the uh, east there are three tribes. Uh, Levi and, some, and then the, the bottom at the, the south, three tribes, and then on the, on the west, there would be three tribes. They would have them set up surrounding the camp. Everywhere they went, they knew exactly where they were to go. They knew exactly who they were to be with. And so uh, the Lord had that set up through Moses where they knew exactly when to move, where to move, where to set up. When they did, they knew they would be with their families, with their tribe. And that's the way he had it set up all through those years. And that, that's the way they kept, uh, kept an order for everything that was going on. And you get to chapter 6, there's a, um, a chapter that's given that's, that's found a couple other places in Scripture. And God gives them commands concerning what's called a Nazarite vow. A Nazarite vow was a vow taken by a man that it was, uh, uh, it was taken to be a... Um, Voluntary vow, and when he did, he was he had commandments about um, his hair. He was to be um, uh, shave his head, and then his hair would grow back. And then there were certain things he were he was not to drink and not to eat. And so he was set aside for special service. Uh, when you get when we get to the book of Judges in, in the future months, uh, there was a man in Judges, one of the judges that uh, had taken a Nazarite vow, and he broke it though uh, more than once. Do you remember which judge that is? 
Samson, right. Uh, so Samson breaks that vow. So um, a, a Nazarite vow is found um, a couple of places in Scripture, and he's one of those examples later on. But it gives the commands for a Nazarite vow. Then it also gives, in chapter 7, as you go there, it's, it gives uh, free will offerings that were to come from the leaders of, the, uh, of each of the, of the 12 tribes. Uh, whether they were uh, of the tribe of Levi, which is the priest, or whoever they were, there would be offerings given. If you, if you, if you have your Bible there, I'm going to read just a few verses of this in Numbers chapter 7, just the beginning of the, of the chapter. It's a long chapter. It's, um, it's 89 verses. It's, it's a very long one, uh, but I won't read the whole thing. But just to read a few, few verses at uh, first three verses of chapter 7. It came to pass on the day that Moses had fully set up the tabernacle and had anointed it. He set it aside for service. God gave him special directions on how to set that aside and, and to make everybody know this is indeed the tabernacle where God dwells, uh, his spirit dwells. And it anointed it and sanctified it, set it apart, and all the instruments thereof, both the altar and all the vessels thereof, and it anointed them and sanctified them. So that's all the furniture in the tabernacle. That's the um, Ark of the Covenant. That's the altar of incense. All of that. Uh, God gave him clear directions and gave him complete order on what to do and how to set that up. And all that's been set aside. Verse 2. Then the princes of Israel, heads of the house of their fathers. That is, those were those who were over that particular of the 12, each of the 12 tribes. Who were the princes of their tribes and were over them that were numbered Offered. This is what it says begins here. And they brought their offering before the Lord, six covered wagons and 12 oxen, a wagon for the two princes and for each one an ox. And they brought them before the tabernacle. So in order to move it from place to place, they had to have, um, they had to have uh, a way to move it. They had to have transportation. So this was set up to be able to move the tabernacle from place to place. Once it was in place, wherever they stopped, where God had stopped them by directing them with the cloud, uh, they would stop and then they would take everything out and they would set it up. And then once you read them through there, for time's sake, certainly we won't be able to read all through this, but it gives the, um, uh, it gives the instructions to them concerning the worship. Verse 9 talks about the sons of Kohath. That was one of the descendants uh, of, um, of one of the tribes, and they were basically the ones who led him worship. And then you read on through, and it talks about uh, the offerings that were to be brought, the flour, the oil. God had everything down detailed perfectly. He had everything written out, made very clear for them for when offerings were made, what was to be used, how much, even down to the measurements of each one. God had all of that taken care of. And then it talks about the lambs that are to be offered and, and the, um, the, the bullocks and everything that's to be offered at different times, the goats. So chapter 7 talks about that, and it was a free will offering. It was something that they brought of their own, something that they had. They weren't forced to bring it, uh, but God used their, their willingness to do that. Just as the same thing, God doesn't force us to do anything, but when we give anything to him willingly, God will always, always bless what we give from our hearts and minds uh, and our hands uh, for him. He will always bless it. So there was, it was a free will offering. And then in chapter 8, it talks about how they consecrated, how they set aside the Levites for service. Um, they, were to, they had a very serious um, task ahead of them. Remember, the Levites were the tribe from which the priests came. Again, as we'll see this uh, here and also in Deuteronomy and, and throughout um, a good bit of the uh, Old Testament, all 
priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests. That is, Levites that was one of the 12 tribes. So the priests came from that, from that tribe. But in, uh, for, for them to be a priest, they had to be of the genealogy, of the lineage of Aaron. Um, Moses was in the tribe, from the tribe of Levi because they were brothers, but none of Moses' descendants were, um, were priests, only the descendants of, of Aaron. So chapter 8 makes that uh, very clear for them. It talks about uh, how they were to serve, uh, the ages, um, and so forth for them to be able to, to serve and to be able to minister. And so um, it talks about their clothes in there, what they wore. And the priests, when they served in the tabernacle, they ne- there was never a place in there to sit down. They were on their feet all the time. They never sat down. Why? Because their work was never done. They continually offered sacrifices. But the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews, I love where, they, where, where it contrasts Jesus with the uh, Old Testament priests. The Bible tells us that Jesus, after he had risen from the dead, after he sent him back to heaven, it says he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Why? Because his work was finished. It was all done. He had paid the price for our sins. It was buried, rose the third day, and then ascended to heaven, and the price was all paid. So, but it talks about the Levites and their being set aside or set apart. Chapter 9 also, as you go there, chapter 9 talks about um, the, as, he, as they begin to go into the wilderness uh, and they, they begin to move out, he gives them commandments concerning um, several um, um, restrictions as well as several commands to keep. Um, he mentions the Passover uh, in this chapter. Reminds them of the Passover. You see in uh, chapter 10, or excuse me, 9, verse 10, 11, and 12, he reminds them, and it's always going to be on the 14th day of the second month, that they shall keep it. And how they were to keep it. They were to eat the unleavened bread with bitter herbs. Um, earlier in the chapter, it mentions um, uh, at the Passover, if there's any dead carcass, they weren't to, to, to touch a dead carcass and so forth. They, several things that he gives them uh, as, the, um, as they begin to, uh, to go into the wilderness. So setting this up for them to begin their walk through the wilderness, God set aside everything they needed to know concerning the offerings, concerning um, how the priests were to um, set up the tabernacle, everything. So as we see a, another, yet another parallel of Christian life, as, as a person trusts Christ as Savior from that point on, they began their Christian walk. And just as God gave them the instructions early as they began for the tabernacle and all that they were to do, once we're saved, God gives us the instructions we need until we go home. He gives us his instructions. So just another great picture, another great parallel of the, um, of the Christian life found as they began their journey into the wilderness. Then in chapter 10, he talks about the importance of the trumpets that were to sound. Each of those feasts, there were uh, sounds that the trumpets made. And when those trumpets sounded, they knew that that feast began at that particular time, Uh, whether it was on a Sabbath or um, at whatever part of the week, the different feasts, there were trumpet sounds for each one. And so uh, he gives commandments that. Look at, if you, uh, if you have your Bible open there to Numbers, let's look at a couple of verses. Chapter 10, verse 1. The Lord spake to Moses, saying, Make thee two trumpets of silver. I imagine those things were, were beautiful. Of a whole piece shalt thou make them, that thou mayest use them for the calling of the assembly, for the journeying of the camps. And when they shall blow with them, all the assembly shall assemble themselves to thee at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So when it sounded, they were to all gather together for whatever it might be, whether it was uh, something God had told Moses and he wanted them to know, or whether it began a feast and a a festival celebration 
um, they were called together with, by that trumpet. And so um, we, we, we see that about the trumpets and we, we know the scripture tells us that uh, there will be a trumpet sound one day. And we look forward to that when the Lord calls us uh, home when he takes his church home. And then also the trumpets are seen in the book of Revelation. There are seven trumpets that, that um, sound out judgments that God will bring upon the earth during the tribulation. Chapters 11 and 12 is where their journey had began, and we see them around Mount Sinai at first. Mount Sinai is the place where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And so in chapter um, 11, he, um, he reminds Moses of the law that he had given him. Um, let's see, look at verse chapter 11. Let's look at verse 1 and 2 of that. And when the people commanded, it displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord... Um, I'm sorry, the people complained, I said commanded, commanded. And the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost part of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses. When Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. And he called the name of the place Taberah because the fire of the Lord burnt among them. There was disobedience. And this is also found recorded in the book of 1 Corinthians when they had disobeyed God. And they began to... Um, well, in verse 4, it talks about a mixed multitude. What does that mean? It meant the, meant the ones that came out of Egypt, but then also there were those younger ones that had just been born that were part of the, that congregation. They didn't know. They had not experienced what their parents experienced. They had not been in. They weren't, they weren't old enough to know. Or they weren't, many of them weren't quite born yet when their parents had come out of Egypt. Um, they, did not, they did not know what they had gone through. And so you had, again, we talked about the changeover between those two generations. And then they began to think back. In verse 4 and 5, they talked about the fish and the, and the garlic and the cucumbers and all the things they ate in Egypt. And now that uh, said, there's nothing but this manna before our eyes, verse 6. We talked about the manna in Leviticus last week. And so... They, um, they were complaining to Moses. And so he heard the people weep throughout as, as some of them had disobeyed and many of them had been destroyed by fire. And so um, Moses um, tells the children of Israel uh, that God's going to be with them, that God's uh, provided for them. And then when you go into chapter 12, they go into Kadesh. Um, this, is, this is outside of the Sinai era, uh, area. And this is the place where... Um, Miriam, who's uh, Moses and Aaron's, Aaron's sister, uh, she ends up getting struck with leprosy, remember? And um, in, in, let's see, verse, um, not, I'm sorry, I got that. Why did I say, why did I say that? Let's pick up verse, verse 1 of chapter 12. They're talking about Miriam, but I, don't, I got my words mixed up here. And Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he was married an Ethiopian woman. He said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken by us? And the Lord heard it. And Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. So here Moses is described as meek. Now there are times that Moses got mad. Meekness is the opposite of anger, and there are times that he got angry. So that tells me that if he was described as meek, imagine the times he could have got angry, right? He did get angry with them from time to time and how uh, he, had, um, he had been leading them. They said, look, can't we lead them just as well? Can't we speak? Can't God speak through us just as well as he spoke through you? And so we see where there's, uh, there's doubt. And verse 10, all right, now I'll get this right this time. And the cloud departed from off the tabernacle, and behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow. This does record it here, 
where uh, later on, and Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said unto Moses, Alas, my Lord, I beseech thee, lay not the sin upon us where we have done foolishly for, um, and wherein we have sinned. So here we see Aaron and um, Miriam, as they had mocked at Moses, now God says, Look, Moses is my, is my prophet, and you have to remember that I have called him. And so um, they... They were rebuked there with that, and, and God um, healed her of that. Um, uh, so they, they, rebuked, they were rebuked by what they had done. So look at verse uh, chapter 13. This is one to spend a little more time on. Chapter 13 is the point of change for them at this point. The, the huge decision, the huge mistake, the huge diso- um, sin uh, and disobedience that, that changed um, Moses, well, not just Moses, but changed the wilderness wandering for all the children of Israel. When they could have gone into the promised land, this changed it all for them. When you get to chapter 13, Moses, God tells Moses, I want you to get, a, uh, of each tribe, I want you to pick out uh, from each tribe those who will go in to be uh, spies into the land. They pick out one person from each tribe. And if you start at verse 4, uh, going down through verse number 16, you see that uh, each tribe picks uh, someone to, to uh, go into the land to spy out, to check out the land. They go in there for 40 days, it says, uh, in chapter 13 here, and they go in to look and see what the promised land, what Canaan is like. And so these 12 go in, two of which are Joshua, he's found in verse 16, and then another is a man named Caleb. Uh, and so Joshua and Caleb, Caleb's in verse 6, he's of the tribe of Judah. And so they go, uh, these 12 go into the promised land to look and see what's there. They're there for 40 days looking over the land. They see a lot of the land and what's, what's uh, found there. They see, um, the Bible records where they see uh, all this fruit. They see pomegranate and figs. And then look with me at verse, um, verse 24. Uh, actually, back up at verse 21. So they went up and searched the land from the wilderness of Zin unto Rehob, as men came from Hamath. And they descended by the south and came into Hebron, where Ahaman, Shishai, and Talmai, the children of Anak, were. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. So these children of Anak, also called the Anakims, they were giants, the Bible describes here. But let's, before we get to that, look down at verse 23. It came into the brook of Eskel. And cut from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes, and they bear it between two upon a staff. And they brought of the pomegranates and of the figs. And the place was called the brook Eskel because of the cluster of grapes with the children of Israel cut down from thence. That word means a valley. Verse 25, and they returned from searching of the land 40 days. The Bible says, and it just mentions this, kind of goes over it quickly, but if you go back and look at verse 23, those grapes were so big, it took two men holding it on a great big long stick, holding those grapes to carry them back. Those grapes were either very huge or there were a lot of them. I think they were probably very big. It describes there that it took two men to carry a bunch. That's a big, big bunch of grapes or big grapes. And so they brought them back. And when they come back to give their report, you would just, you would just think as they come back, look at all this food. It's going to be great. There's plenty. They call it a land of milk and honey. There's plenty for us. Let's go in and take this land. But it doesn't work that way. The Bible says that they describe what happens. Ten of them bring back a negative report. 
Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, say, we can do this. We can go into the land. We can take it. There are going to be giants to face, but God said he will be with us and we'll go into the land and we'll go into that land of milk and honey and we'll take, those, uh, take the land. We'll have these grapes. We'll have this food. We'll have everything we need if we'll go into the land. And the scripture says as they, they told them that, the other ten said, no, that's not going to happen. We can't do this. We are not able. They didn't say anything about God. They said we are not able. We cannot take the land. Look at verse um, 20. Uh, 26, excuse me. And they went and came to Moses and Aaron, all the congregation of the children of Israel, into the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh, and brought back word unto them and said, uh, excuse me, and all the congregation showed them the fruit of the land. They told them and said, We came into the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth milk, with milk and honey. This is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled, or walled, excuse me, and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. They saw the giants. Verse 29. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. That was another enemy of Israel. And the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea, by the coast of Jordan. In other words, all they could see was the enemy. They couldn't see God. Sometimes that's the way life is. All we can see is the problem. We don't see God um, standing there in front of the problem while we go through the problem and when we get through the problem. Verse 30, Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it. For we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And then the, the next couple of verses, they basically say, We can't do this. We can't go into the land. We're like little grasshoppers in their sight. These big giants, there's no way we can do it. And that chapter ends. Now look at chapter 14 and verse 1. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. They had... The chance there. They had the opportunity. We can go into the land. But there were these giants. And we can't do it. They left God out of all of it. It is, it is always wise to include the Lord in any decision you make. They weren't including the Lord in that decision. They left him out. And they said, we can't do it. We can't face these giants. We can't defeat them. We can't be victorious. And so because of that, they weren't going to go in. And the whole night, the people spent the night weeping and crying because... They said, we can't do it. And they gave, up, they, they gave up the opportunity to be able to go in and fight and be able to get the land. And then it says in verse 2, all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, would God that we had died in the land of Egypt or would God we had died in this wilderness. They didn't even give, uh, any, uh, they didn't, they didn't give any regard to what Caleb and Joshua said. They listened to the 10 and they weren't going to listen anymore. So they realized now, we blew it. We messed up. We should have listened. And Joshua and Caleb were the only two that said that we can go in. We can take it. And you read that chapter. In fact, they, they plead before the people. You pick up at verse 6. Joshua and Caleb say, we could go in. They, they, they tore their clothes. They were so, um, they were so um, adamant and emotional about it. We can take this land. But the people didn't want any part of it. And so uh, they spent that night uh, mourning and weeping because they had... Uh, missed out on an opportunity that God told them they could go in, but they messed up. They disobeyed God. So God told them, you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40, day, uh, 40 years. In verse 29, he says, your carcasses will fall in the wilderness. This generation is going to die off in the wilderness because you would not believe me. You wouldn't believe the two that said we can do it. You listened to the 10 that said we can't. And sometimes in life, unfortunately, that's the way things are. I hear too many people say, you can't, you can't, you can't. 
And it just takes enough voices of that for us to, to become doubtful. And sometimes we'll make uh, or lose out on opportunities. So from chapter 15 to 25, it describes their wandering throughout the wilderness. They begin to wander through and uh, God brings them through there. And all through the, the wandering of the wilderness, they're setting up the tent uh, and, and getting uh, the tent set up for the next Stay. Then when it's time to take it down, they move. And they do that for 40 years as they wander and wander and wander. Chapter 15, God told them, he said, I'm, I'm delaying my blessing. This generation is going to die off. And then in chapter 16 to 19, he gives some of the incidents of what, would hap- of what the priests were to do. He gives them uh, commands concerning um, how to handle um, how to handle. Um, uh, issues in the congregation, uh, differences in how to handle, how to handle the uh, offerings that were taken, offerings that were made uh, in, the, in chapter 16. Then you get to chapter 17, and you see something very interesting. Um, I'll come to that in just a moment. But chapter 16 and 19, it talks about Korah's rebellion in chapter 16, where he disobeyed God, and he um, paid a, a heavy price for it. Chapter 16, if you'll go with me to... Um, Verse number, uh, let's see. Verse number, let's start at verse one. We'll read down a little bit. Now, Kor, the son of um, Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and on the priest, or excuse me, the son of Peleth, Reuben took men. They rose up before Moses, certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. So now you're seeing a rebellion that's going to come up against Moses here. They gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, You take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore, lift you up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. When Moses heard it, he fell on his face. And then the the Bible uh, describes here through the the sons of Korah, um, go to verse 12. And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, two sons of Eliab, which said, We will not come up. Is it a small thing that thou hast brought us up out of the land that floweth with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, except thou make thyself altogether prince over us? So here are two voices. Uh, again, Moses is having to face opposition from, from, uh, from his people and from those in leadership even. Verse 14, Moreover, thou hast not brought us into the land that floweth with milk and honey, or given us inheritance of fields and vineyards, wilt thou put out the eyes of these men, we will not come up. They never thought about realizing, look, we disobeyed God. We didn't believe what God said when, when Caleb and Joshua said, we can take this. So they bring the blame on Moses, verse 15. And Moses was very wroth and said to the Lord, Respect not thou their offering. I have not taken one ass from them, neither have I hurt one of them. And Moses said unto Korah, Be thou and all thy company before the Lord, thou and they and Aaron tomorrow. And so we see that uh, God brings judgment on them as, uh, as you read throughout this chapter um, he, he brings judgment upon them for their disobedience. In fact, uh, let's skip forward to verse 31. It came to pass, as he had made an end of speaking all these words, that the ground clave asunder, it was under them. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up, and their houses and all the men that um, appertained to Korah and all their goods. And they all, all that appertained to him went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed them up, and they perished from among the congregation. So God used, uh, made those two an example due to their rebellion. And uh, God, uh, Moses, 
uh, you know, cried out to God and everything about it. And then God took care of the situation uh, as they had disobeyed. So it leaves an example that's, uh, that's repeated even in the New Testament as it's, it's recorded uh, later on about that uh, incident. So something really interesting, though, that I'd, I want to spend a little more time on. In chapter 17, it's a short chapter. It's only 13 verses. But here, God is going to, um, through Moses, he's going to, to, um, to, to miraculously show um, Aaron that he, is the, um, he and his descendants are those who will be the, the, um, the, the tribe for the, for the priesthood. Verse 1 of chapter 17, The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speaking of the children of Israel, Take every one of them a rod according to the house of their fathers, of all their princes according to the house of their fathers, twelve rods, write thou every man's name upon his rod. So they took these twelve sticks and uh, break them off, and, and they're, they're basically branches from trees, and took them and, and broke them, and uh, they were... Uh, from each tribe, a name was put on one. So we see several times in Numbers where God calls someone out of each tribe to represent that whole tribe. He did, remember when he sent the spies in, he's doing it again here. And so it says, um, verse 3, and, that, and thou shalt write Aaron's name upon the rod of Levi. For one rod shall be for the head of the house of their fathers, and shall lay them up at the tabernacle of the congregation before the testimony where I uh, will meet with you. It shall come to pass that the man's rod whom I shall choose shall blossom, and I will make to cease from the murmurings of the children of Israel, whereby they murmur against you. He says, look, I'm going to show my power. He showed it in a negative way when he, when he destroyed those two uh, in the last chapter uh, and their families. Now he's going to show it in a positive way because he's going to take these, of these 12 dead sticks, basically, one of them is going to live, and it's going to bring forth buds. Look at verse 6. Moses spake unto the children of Israel, and every one of their princes gave him a rod apiece. For each prince of one, according to their fathers, even um, the fathers' houses, even twelve rods. And the rod of Aaron was among their rods. And Moses laid up the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. There is, that is another name for the tabernacle. It's, it's the same thing. It's just called the tabernacle of witness. And it came to pass that on the morrow, Moses went to the tabernacle of witness. And behold, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi was budded and brought forth buds and bloomed blossoms and yielded almonds. It didn't just bring forth buds and blossoms. Almonds were growing. Fruit only comes from something alive. This happens to be an almond. It's not fruit, but I mean fruit in the sense of, of what's supposed to grow on it. Verse 9, And Moses brought out all the rods before the Lord, and the children of Israel, and they looked and took every man his rod. So this was a sign to the nation of Israel that Aaron indeed was the one to be, um, his, his family was to be the priests, and that God was indeed um, working through Moses. So he was using a positive way to show them um, Moses' leadership. But we also see in this a beautiful picture of our crucified Savior who died for us and rose the third day. Whereas that, that dead stick lived and brought forth almonds, the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead and lives today. Great picture that we find here in chapter 17. I love that chapter. So in chapter 18, God again confirms the priesthood now that he said and, and made all the people know for certainty, I'm leading you through Moses and Aaron is the high priest and his descendants will be the, the priests of Israel. And so uh, in chapter 18, he, um, he gives command, uh, commandments concerning the priests as they go into the, um, go into the service of the priesthood.
Then you get to chapter 19, uh, the first few verses especially, you get to a uh, passage here about uh, a red heifer. There's been a lot of talk in recent years of, about uh, prophecy being fulfilled because of, um, of red heifer that it, they've been looking for in Israel. About six, seven, eight years or so ago, there was, um, there, there's a website um, called the, um, the Temple Institute, and they also have a Facebook um, if you go to that website, you can see where in Israel, in Jerusalem, they are preparing for the next temple. I mean, they are sitting on ready to build it whenever. They're not, they haven't got everything uh, in place yet, but they're, ready, they're wanting to build the temple back. They are, they are just chomping at the bit. Of course, the, the, um, the mosque that's there you know, at, the, at the Dome of the Rock, that's, that's of course, uh, the place where the, the temple's supposed to go. And so they're unable to build it. But they're wanting to build it. They are just chomping at the bit to build that temple back. Um, they've already been uh, working on the priest garments. I mean, they've, they've been getting a lot of stuff ready. You hear these rumors once in a while about the Ark of the Covenant and things like that. But one thing that they're looking for is a perfect specimen of a red heifer. Um, when you go, go with me to chapter 19, if you will. And verse, start at verse 1. The Lord spake unto Moses and to Aaron, saying, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord hath commanded, saying, Speaking to the children of Israel, that they bring thee a red heifer without spot, wherein is no blemish, and upon which never came yoke. And, shall give her, and you shall give her unto Eleazar the priest, that he may bring her forth without the camp, and one shall slay her before his face. And Eleazar uh, the priest shall take of her blood with his finger, and sprinkle of her blood directly before the tabernacle of the congregation seven times. And one shall burn the heifer in his sight, her skin, and her flesh, and her blood with her dung shall he burn. The priest shall take the cedar wood, and the hyssop, and the scarlet, and cast it in the midst of the burning of the heifer. The priest shall wash his clothes, and he'll bathe his flesh with water. Afterward, he shall come into the camp, and the priest shall be unclean until evening. So this red heifer was to be offered up. Um, let's see. Go to... Um, Go to verse 11. And he that gather the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes, be unclean until the even, and shall be unto the children of Israel, to the stranger that sojourneth among them for a statute forever. So it was to be offered up for uh, the children of Israel. And here, remember at this point, there's not a, t- not a temple. It's a tabernacle. And so it was uh, to be offered up to as part of the dedication for the tabernacle. And so... The, um, the, um, the Jews, they're looking at Israel, they're looking for a perfect specimen so when the temple's built, that it can be offered. And this is just a picture of, uh, they've, they've been looking for the specimen or whatever, trying to find the perfect one. And this is just a picture of one that I found from a website there. They're looking for that, that exact one that will have no blemish. Uh, the, um, everything will be right uh, all the way around on it. No blemish, anything that would be um, the, where it would be rejected, put it that way, where it's accepted for offering up. And so uh, in recent years, a lot of prophecy teachers have talked about how the importance of that for them to be able to, to get the temple dedicated. But who knows when the temple will be, be built? It could be a long time. We don't know uh, when it'll be built. Um, I believe it'll, it'll begin before the rapture, but it may not be, begin until after the rapture. We don't know. Um, we know right now that there's you know a lot of um, uh, legalities and so forth that that keep it from you know from them from them starting, 
But um, and then they have a still have a lot of things they have. They've got to find the Ark of the Covenant wherever that is, and so forth, things like that. So, but anyway, that's that is something that's very important when the temple is going to be rebuilt. The bottom line, just just getting it all, just making sense of it, boiling down, is the fact that they're looking for that perfect specimen now. I think is very very interesting that they are. So let's continue on. We're almost through the book of uh, Numbers. Uh, Miriam and Aaron die in chapter 20. And so God wanted all that taken care of before the death of Aaron because, again, he was the first high priest. His descendants would be the priest line of Israel uh, through the Levites. And then in chapter 20, verse 7 to 13, this is where Moses disobeys God. He goes, um, they're, they're looking for water again. Remember in the book of Exodus, we talked about that, um, where they looked for water and Moses um, spoke to the rock, and the water came out. Well, this time, uh, or excuse me, he smote the rock, and the water came out. This time, God tells him to speak to the rock, but instead, he smites it. In fact, go to uh, chapter 20 and verse number uh, 9. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the, uh, the congregation together before the rock. And he said to them, Here now, you rebels, must you fetch water out of the rock? And Moses lifted up his hand with his rod. He smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. And here's the thing. The water came out like God said it would. But Moses made the mistake of smiting it twice. This is a picture of our rock, the Lord Jesus Christ. He died on the cross, and when he died, he died once and for all. He's not to ever die again. Moses struck it twice, disobeyed God, and because of that, uh, if you read on in the next couple of verses, we don't really have time, but you read the next couple of verses, God says to Moses, you're not going to enter the promised land. You're going to die before the children of Israel go into the promised land. And when you finish out Numbers and Deuteronomy, you see that that is exactly what happens, and Joshua leads them into the promised land. So uh, Moses disobeyed God. Uh, and uh, because of that, he was not able to go in. Uh, then you get chapter 21. This is interesting, too. Snakes on a plane, P-L-A-I-N instead of P-L-A-N-E, <laughs> not the movie. So here they are in the plane. They're, they're traveling and journeying in the wilderness. You get to chapter, seven, uh, chapter 21, excuse me. And as they're traveling, the Bible tells us as they go through and, and are making their way through, in verse 7, the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. We have spoken against the Lord. What happened? Well, because of their disobedience, God allowed serpents to come after them. And then when they realize that, the Bible says that many of them died there, verse 5 and verse 6, from being, um, from being bitten by the serpents. Uh, as, as God had, had sent those serpents among those, his people. God loves his people, but they kept disobeying them, and he sent these reproofs, he sent these rebukes, and sometimes very serious like this. And it says, we have disobeyed God. They've spoken against the Lord and against thee, verse 7. They realize that. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. Sounds strange to us. Is a strange thing, but the Bible's a strange book. And God worked through this and had Moses do this very thing, and he did, made a serpent out of brass, put it on a pole, verse 8. And Moses made a serpent of brass, put it on the pole, and it came to pass that the serpent had bitten any man when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. They were simply to look and live. This is repeated, we'll see in just a moment, in John chapter 3. Jesus says to Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... So must the Son of Man be lifted up, 
How was Jesus lifted up? He was lifted up and put on a cross. That serpent, all they had to do is look and they would live. Jesus on the cross died for the sins of mankind and we look to him for our salvation and we're born again saved by his grace. Chapters 22 to 24, we are really running out of time quick. Chapters 22 to 24 is where Balak um, and uh, Balaam and Balak are found here in these verses. And it's where Balak said unto Balaam uh, to, um, to curse uh, Israel. And so you read through that chapter or those chapters and you see that very, um, uh, those very important passages where he was sent to uh, curse Israel, but he's reminded that you can't curse what um, God has, has blessed. And so Balaam hires him to do that. And uh, God has blessed Israel and he, they could not be cursed. And so um, Balaam was um, uh, disobedient to God and Balak realized he couldn't curse God. And then uh, verses 21 to 35, you see where uh, God speaks through that donkey, through that ass to, uh, to him and, and asks him, why are you doing this? Why are you cursing God? And um, so verses 20. 1 to 35 of chapter 22 is, is how God uses uh, that donkey that asked us to, to, um, to stop him. And God was able to speak it, it through that. Only two times in scripture we see where an animal speaks. In the garden there's a serpent. And then here we see um, the donkey that speaks to, to uh, Balaam to, or Balak to ask him, why are you cursing who God is blessed? And then he has his prophecy uh, concerning Israel. But the thing to, to see in this chapter 22 and 23 in verse number 9, um, let's see, 23, yeah, 23, 9. From the top of the rocks I see him, from the hills I behold him, lo, the people shall dwell alone and shall not be reckoned among the nations. So even in this, even in Balak's prophecy, he still got some things right as he said it, because God's people, Israel, was not to be reckoned among the nations, and, and they're not to be. They are a separate nation unto themselves. They're God's holy people, and so um, they were not to be counted among the nations. And then in chapter 25, you see the Moabites. Uh, we don't have time to go into that, but the background of them is found in Genesis 19. They were some of the constant enemies of Israel, and the Moabites, um, their influence brought Israel into uh, idolatry that they, that they brought into the land. And then you get to, um, in chapter 25, a very interesting thing happens later on in that chapter where there is um, um, a, a case where God raises up a man named Phinehas to come in and to destroy two that were disobeying God, and God saved the day uh, through, through him, used Phinehas to save the day. And then there's a new census in chapter 26 because when they go into the promised land, they need to know the ages of those that would be able to, to go into battle and face the, the enemies. Then chapter 27 gives an interesting thing about women under the law and talks about, um, talks about those that um, under the law that um, the, um, some of the things that they were, uh, that they, the regulation concerning some of them, um, Take, in fact, go to verse, let's see, look at verse number, we'll start at verse number six. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, The daughters of Zelophehad speak right, thou shalt surely give them possession of an inheritance among their father's brethren, and thou shalt cause the inheritance of their father to pass to them. In the law, there were, there were guidelines, there were, were regulations, there was law set up for, um, 
for those who um, passed inheritance to their sons and their families. Well, you get to these daughters of this one man, there were no brothers. And so the inheritance had to be divided to these women. They were to be an exception because usually it was given to men as heads of the household. But there were none in this case. And so they passed, uh, they, he gave him the commandments and what was needed to be done to give the inheritance to these women. Uh, it's one of the great things when you get to the New Testament and you find out how the Lord Jesus Christ has done more to free and liberate women than anyone else on this planet. No laws can free and liberate anyone like Jesus Christ does. And so in the book of Numbers, they had these exceptions of the rule. There is no exception of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, will, he saves any and everyone, and he liberates more than the law could ever do. And then chapter 28 and 29 gives some, uh, some more offerings that they were to give, especially uh, as they go into the land. Then in chapter 30, it talks about vows that they made and the importance of keeping vows and how serious God saw that. Then you get to chapter 31, and you see the, um, the um, war that they, where they go into war against the Midianites. And there's a war there. Again, Aaron has died. Moses is getting towards the end of his life. And they're, they're going through the wilderness, getting closer to the time for the promised land. And then Reuben and Gad, two of the, tri- uh, two of the tribes, ask for land. And they're going to be on an opposite side from the other ten, which later on in the Old Testament makes them very uh, susceptible uh, to, to, to dangers later on, and they ask uh, for themselves. They don't ask for, because the Lord had led them to do that. They ask for themselves. Then you see their journeys. It kind of summarizes chapter 23 as they go from place to place. And when you put together the other books of Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, um, as, it, as it mentions in there, it goes into more detail. But when you read 33, it just simply says, and they pitched here and then they removed. They pitched here and then they removed the tent. It just, it just verse by verse goes by that and gives the places where they traveled. Then you see the borders of the promised land. They're getting closer before the time of the, the years to end of the wandering. It talks about the borders of it as they go into it. And then once they're there, there are cities of refuge that are set aside for those that um, commit a uh, trespass or a sin unwillingly, especially of murder. They could flee. It was accident, something that was not intentional. They could flee to these cities. And they're called cities of refuge, and they're set up in the book of Numbers. And we'll see them again in the book of Joshua when we get there a little bit later on in a couple of weeks to come. And then when you get to the final chapter, 36, there are laws for them and, and land and the inheritance that will be divided up by the, by the tribes as they go into the promised land. So quickly, uh, so there's, a, there's just a, a likeness that was built at one time uh, of the uh, tabernacle. That's probably what it looked like. You see the, the altar out front there, the uh, brazen of the burn uh, for the burnt offerings out front there, and you see the fence that goes around it. With uh, that would be taken up and moved every time they loaded into those. We looked at those about the wagons that were loaded in there. They'd move from place to place. They'd set everything right back up. And then here's a layout. We'll probably talk about this in Deuteronomy, but this is how the uh, tribes were laid out around, were set up rather around the tabernacle on the north, east, the south. And the West. And then let's look at a few things. Alternate routes. Of course, Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy give the laws that you see in Numbers. But in Numbers, uh, most of it is given uh, concerning the, um, the tabernacle itself and when it's moved. But all of these books come together 
uh, and in either giving the laws or, or interpreting how the laws were to work for them as, as God's people. So here's your time frame. Uh, Genesis, we said, was about three, uh, 3975 B.C. to 1660. Exodus, we looked at last week, was a little bit earlier than, the other, than these books, or two weeks ago, excuse me. 1580 to 1462, and then you get Leviticus and Numbers, and they, ha- they are about the same year they begin, but one ends a little earlier, uh, Leviticus ends a little earlier, because Numbers goes right just about to the time to go into the promised land, and then Deuteronomy we'll get to next week. So it was written to Israel, and it was written of a warning for their enemies, so this is our, our mileage and efficiency. This is, this is what they were, they were in the long haul for uh, God's commands for them, and uh, as they go into, get ready to go into the promised land eventually. So unbelief kept a whole generation out of the promised land um, because they dis- because they disobeyed God. In that one place, uh, a whole generation died off. Eventually, that next generation went in. So we see even in the Old Testament, we see the grace of God. God didn't just completely say, "I'm going to wipe you all out," or "I'm not going to let anybody go in." God said, "This generation that disobeyed me, they're not going to go in." But the, the kids, the grandkids, their offspring, they will go in into the promised land. And then when we forget our Red Sea, that can be harmful. We didn't have time to get to it tonight, but if you want to write down a reference, Psalm 106 basically gives them a history lesson of what happened and uh, all through here in Numbers that we hit the, it's got a lot of the highlights of it in Psalm 106. And because they kept forgetting that Red Sea incident and that miracle of the Red Sea, they would complain, Lord, you we're thirsty. We need food. He sends manna. That isn't enough. We need more. He sends quail. And they continue to be disgruntled. They continue to murmur and complain. And so often in our life, um, we, we don't stop and really think about what all God has done, how he saved us and how he's done so many things in our life. So we've been saved to serve the Lord. Ephesians 2 verse 8 through 10 tells us that. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to good works. They were saved to serve him. They were redeemed to serve him. Even at times they didn't do that. Failure to trust God will get us out of the will of God. That happened to them and it can do that in our lives as well. So that's the tune-up for us. Uh, We need a spiritual history lesson often. And when you read through the Psalms, I've, I've uh, put that one psalm down, 106. There's several places in Psalms where over and over God through the psalmist tells them, uh, your ancestors, your, your, those before you, this is what they did. And because of their disobedience, um, I sent reproof to them. I, I, sent, um, I, I chastised them because of that. So we need a spiritual history lesson in our life to remember. And then uh, to tune up, remember when you were saved. Recall God's goodness, rely on his faithfulness, which is some of the things that they didn't do like they should have. And we learned that lesson from then. And then uh, Jesus in the book of Numbers, he is the, uh, of Aaron's rod that budded, his resurrection. And then the serpent, chapter 21, verse 8 through 9, is in John 3, 14, excuse me, where Jesus talks about the serpent uh, being held up in the wilderness as they looked and, and were, were delivered. In chapter 24, verse 17, Jesus is called a star. And he's called a scepter. And um, that's found even in, in the prophecy that Balak gives. He even uh, acknowledges that. He's called a star and a scepter. And then the, um, the uh, cities of refuge, Jesus himself is our refuge. And he's our inheritance also. Ephesians 1 verse 11 tells us that, that uh, as believers in Christ, we have a spiritual inheritance in the Lord Jesus. And then um, the home address... 
look and live. We saw that and the star. And that should be scepter, not setter. I missed a P somehow there. I didn't put that in there. All right, Lord willing, next week we'll look at Deuteronomy. We are way over time tonight. I kept you a lot longer than we usually uh, go, but uh, any questions or anything before we dismiss? Ooh, that's a long time tonight. Thank you for your patience. Uh, hopefully I'll condense Deuteronomy a little bit better. We had a lot of sidetracks there. Let's stand and close in prayer and dismiss. Hope you're safe going home. Thank you, Lord, for the day. Thank you for the time to study your word tonight, Lord. There's so much in numbers, and it's hard to fit everything in in just under an hour. But we thank you, Lord, that it's your word, and it gives us uh, the hunger, Lord, hopefully to go in and seek and search what you have to say. There's so much in there. Uh, Old Testament that's law, and we realize that it was for a time. But yet, Lord, there's so much in there that is so practical for today and so much that the Lord Jesus himself fulfilled. Uh, We thank you for all these beautiful pictures of him, all these beautiful types that we see. It's wonderful, Lord, to see what you did and and what you um, accomplished then to pave the way for when your son was to come to be our Savior. Thank you for your word. May we grow in grace and knowledge of our Savior. And we ask all this in Jesus' name.